Our New Testament scripture reading this Lord's Day is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment, yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time, until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Now ye are full, now ye are rich, ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst, and are naked, and are buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place and labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscoring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you, for though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up, as though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod, or in love, and in the spirit of meekness? The Lord bless the reading of his word. 
and now the preaching of his word as well. Our text this Lord's Day is found in Proverbs 23, verse 23. And just the first part of that proverb, where it says, Buy the truth and sell it not. Buy the truth and sell it not. What is more foundational to Christianity as to the order of nature, truth, faith, or love? Dear ones, as essential as faith is in our coming to Jesus Christ, and as love is in our living for Christ, we could neither come to Christ in faith nor live for Christ in love. If the one true living God had not revealed to us his truth in Holy Scripture. For we cannot believe in Christ or in a Christ who has not been revealed to us in Scripture. As Romans 10.17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Nor can we love a God who has not made himself known to us in his word. As it says in 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. If the God of the Bible has, dear ones, opened your eyes, given you faith, and caused you to love all of the truth which he has revealed in nature and in providence and in scripture, you are most blessed most blessed among mankind. For the vast majority of people in the world today are blinded to the truth by their own pride and their own corruption. They have deceived themselves into believing a lie. They are on the road to destruction. But you, who were likewise filled with the same pride and corruption, like the rest, we're captured by the grace of a living God and given sight to see the truth of God, given faith to receive the truth of God, and given love to cherish the truth of God. I wonder, have you bowed before the Lord God today to pour out from your heart thanksgiving to Him who cannot lie? For his infinite mercy and grace in revealing to you his infallible truth. Dear ones, without the truth, without the truth we know nothing. We are in total and complete darkness and confusion. Without the truth we simply deceive ourselves. All is hopelessness and destruction. But in receiving the truth there is certainty of knowledge. We walk in the light and we have understanding. We have meaning and purpose. And the way of life is set before us when we have the truth. Well, this Lord's Day, the God of truth would remind us again of the precious truth which has been revealed and offered to us so that we do not grow weary in hearing it, nor become dull 
in receiving and believing it, nor allow it to become a burden to us in obeying it. The two main points from our text in Proverbs 23, 23 are these. First, we must seek always to buy the truth. And second, we must seek never to sell the truth. first main point in this Lord's Day, we must seek always to buy the truth. Solomon, speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, states, buy the truth. Let us first make a few observations about the word buy. Buy the truth. Well, the first observation is this. This is a command. This is not an option for the Christian or anyone else for that matter. God does not suggest that it would be nice if we once in a while sought to buy the truth. He does not tell us, try it, you'll like it. The Hebrew word for buy is actually in the imperative mood wherein we are required by God to make it our aim at all times to go forth, searching for the truth. And when we have found it, to purchase it regardless of the cost to us or to our loved ones. Dear ones, this is a moral commandment that is required of all people in all ages and at all times. In fact, our duty to buy the truth is found in the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. For to hear or to see the truth of God and yet to ignore it, to despise it, to neglect it, to oppose it, is to take the name of the Lord our God in vain, for God's name is in his truth. In fact, our larger catechism in question 113 lists as one of the sins forbidden in the third commandment this. Any wise opposing of God's truth, grace, and ways. Well, let us be clear that since this is a command, we cannot be neutral when it comes to the truth of God. Even when we sincerely embrace what we think is the truth, although it in fact is false, we have still sinned against God. Even as Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We must realize and learn that ignorance of God's truth does not excuse us from sin against the God of truth. Willful disobedience is indeed an aggravation of our sin. But let us not fall into the Arminian error thinking that because we are ignorant, we have not sinned or violated God's law. You see, the Arminian definition of sin is this. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. James 
There's no question at all that to act contrary to what we need true is indeed sin. Who would disagree with that? But the Bible goes much further than willful dis- disobedience in defining what is sin. The Bible defines sin as transgression of the law of God, according to 1 John 3, 4. And it doesn't limit that transgression to our outward actions, but includes our inward desires and our words as well. So whether we know we are transgressing the law of God or not is not what determines whether we have actually sinned. Remember, there were in the Old Testament offerings for sins of ignorance, thereby displaying that God's people can sin by way of ignorance. Maybe not willfully, but nevertheless, by way of omission and not knowing or practicing the truth. Beloved, let us not play loose and free with the truth of God, thinking there is little consequence to the decisions we make for or against it. As if to say, oh, this is not an essential part to my salvation, therefore I do not have to esteem or regard it as highly as other issues. Or as we shall see, all truth has the same authority standing behind it, God's authority. And we cannot easily dismiss, therefore, even the least matter of truth. Dear ones, although none of us perfectly embraces every truth revealed by God, we all fall short, it is true, to varying degrees in standing for and in receiving the truth of God. Let us, however, never minimize the truth of God at any point. For we are commanded by God by the truth. And as we shall soon see, we are to buy it at all costs. The second observation that I would make is, is this. Not only is this a command to buy the truth, but a second observation is this, that it, this is a marketing term. Buy or purchase the truth. The image painted by the word buy envisions us going forth into the store and having to sort through many varied products and commodities that pass for the truth. But we are to reject that which is false and rather to buy that which is true. We are told in Scripture that there are in fact many counterfeits vying for that which is true. So we must be ever so careful that we buy not or purchase not a lie. This is even more true now, it would seem to me, than ever before because of the instant access we have to many different theological views by way of the Internet. Instant access to all kinds of theological ideas. You can be immediately, dear ones, in a cyber market of theological ideas as you watch and read a debate over national covenanting or over purity in worship or over justification by faith alone. You can find yourself hearing various views being proposed as the truth with just a click or the touch of a button. 
I would encourage each of you, dear ones, and myself, that we must go into such debates on the Internet or in such forums of discussion with one another, not merely to satisfy our own curiosity, not merely to fill our minds with theological terms, not to impress others with our knowledge, not to just throw around a few ideas in the theological pot just to see what comes out at the end of the discussion. But rather, we should enter into such situations with the purpose of buying the truth at all costs, sorting it out from all error. And so I ask you today, dear ones, what are your motives in debating theological issues? Is it to buy the truth? Is it a love to buy the truth, whatever it may cost you, or is it a love to win an argument and to display how much you know? Do, you, do your discussions concerning the truth end in fruitless outbursts of anger or offense being given by you to others? It certainly may be the case that others take offense at the truth, but we should never give offense by the way we present the truth because of our pride or our haughtiness. When others do not receive what you say and if what you say is the truth, is it your pride that is hurt? Or do you sincerely grieve in your heart because the truth of Jesus Christ has not been bought, that it has been rejected? Is that what grieves you? I would encourage us, therefore, dear ones, to let our discussions concerning the truth continue amongst us. Let us continue to deliberate on various issues and matters concerning the truth of the regulative principle, concerning the truth of justification by faith alone, concerning the truth of, uh, concerning the truth regarding the pardon of future sins, concerning the truth as it relates to birth control or eschatology or ethics or whatever the issue may be, let us continue with that, mind, that idea in mind that we desire to buy the truth. Let us not become defensive but humble as we discuss these matters. For if we truly seek the truth as we seek for gold and silver, what have we to lose? If you have the truth, I should desire it. If I have the truth, you should desire it. On whatever issue, on whatever matter. Let us not come together simply, therefore, to flaunt our abilities, but to buy the truth. The question is asked at this point, perhaps, how do we buy the truth? Is the truth literally for sale? <clears throat> Well, I want to basically give you two different senses of how we buy the truth. And certainly, in the first sense, the truth is not for sale. For the Lord Jesus told his disciples that they were to go out into the highways and byways of life. Freely you have received, freely give. Matthew 10.8 
If the truth of God could only be purchased with money, then only the rich would have it and the poor would be excluded from it. But listen to the word of God from James 2.5. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? In fact, in this sense, we are told that the truth is not for sale by our own works at all. Not only is it not for sale by way of money, but it is not for sale by way of our own works. We are invited to come to Jesus Christ without money and without price if we would simply hunger and thirst. We would recognize that we are dying apart from Jesus Christ and that we will starve to death. We will suffer from a lack of thirst if we do not come to Christ. And so we are invited in Isaiah 55, verse 1, to come with Him, come to Jesus Christ, come to God, and to buy of this truth without money and without price. In this sense, the gospel, dear ones, is bought by faith alone in Jesus Christ. In this sense, it has been bought and paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ alone at the price of his suffering the temporal and eternal punishment of a holy God and it is offered to you today without your payment or without your works in the least by simply receiving by faith alone the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ and the gift of righteousness and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, you may buy the truth of Christ without price. And in fact, I would say, if you try to pay for the truth of Christ, in this sense, by offering to God your own works, your gifts, your graces, in exchange for this gospel, you will not buy the truth, but you will buy error, and you will find yourself on the path to destruction. But in another sense, the truth of God is so valuable that it cannot be purchased with mere money. The truth revealed to us by the Lord must be bought in another sense with a willingness to suffer the loss of our job, our house, our family, our friends, our freedom, our reputation, and yes, even our own lives in order to buy and obtain the truth of Jesus Christ. For there is nothing in this world which is passing away that is more valuable than the truth of Jesus Christ. Nothing. The truth of God is eternal and is the means by which God saves us from the wrath to come by which we enjoy fellowship and communion with Christ, by which we grow in the image of Christ, by which we avoid sin and temptation in our lives, by which we lead others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Dear ones, I ask you today, what are you willing to forsake in order to buy the truth? What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to give up in order to buy the truth? Just how valuable to you is the truth of our Savior. 
Is it valuable as long as you are with brothers and sisters in Christ? But it seems to lose its value when you are all alone. So it becomes of little consequence when you're all by yourself. Would you be willing to give up your own life to buy or to stand for the truth of God as did those during the reign of Bloody Mary of England who would not confess that the bread and the wine become the actual body and blood of Christ and went to the stake to be burned for that truth? Or what about the covenanters that would that went to the scaffold in order to be hung because they would not deny the truth that Jesus Christ alone is king of his church and orders the doctrine, the worship, and the church government as it relates to his church. And they would not give that prerogative to the king or to the civil magistrate at all as it relates to these matters. There are those around the world even now, even now as I speak, who are suffering for the truth of Jesus Christ, who are laying down their lives for the truth of Jesus Christ. And there is prophesied to come a time in the future in which we ourselves or our children, or our grandchildren, our posterity, will suffer for the truth of Jesus Christ, according to Revelation chapter 12. According to Revelation chapter 11 and chapter 12. And we find that the persecution that is brought against those faithful witnesses will be overcome. That persecution and that power to destroy them will be overcome in this way. Read from Revelation 12.12. 12. I'm sorry, 12.11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto the death. I wonder today, dear ones, does your view of the truth of God lend itself to giving up everything that you have to buy it, to have it, to possess it? Is that your view of the truth? Are you more of a mind and have a view of the truth that you're willing to go this far and no further? What is your view of the truth? What are you willing to sacrifice? For the truth. Is the truth of God valuable to you only when it is comfortable and does not bring too many hardships into your life? Or is it valuable to you even to the point of ridicule, isolation from family and friends, persecution, the loss of your job, the loss of your wealth and riches, the loss of your freedom, the loss of your life? Dear ones, if you cannot stand for Christ and His truth in your present circumstances, how will you be able to stand for Him should you be called to lay down your life for the truth? Dear ones, is your view of the truth reflected in the words of Jesus Christ as found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46? Two parables that the Lord gives to us to 
to remind us at all times of the value of the truth of Jesus Christ. Therein we read, And again the kingdom of heaven is likened to treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Selleth all that he hath. Again, the following parable says something very similar. And again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he hath found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Is that your view of the truth of Jesus Christ? You're willing to sell everything to have in order to buy it. Is the truth of God esteemed more by you than your necessary food, as Job says in Job 23, 12? Do you take the truth of God with you when you listen to your music? Or is it very convenient simply to forget about the truth of God that he has revealed in his word because you enjoy the music so much or the beat so much that you care little about what's being said? Do you take the truth of God with you when you watch the movies, which you watch, so that you let no profane words and no unclean scenes pass before you? At what cost are you willing to buy the truth? At the cost of your pleasure? At the cost of your desires? At the cost of your comforts? At the cost of your pride? It is time, dear ones, right now to take inventory of the value you place upon the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians neither receive nor apply the truth of God perfectly. It is true. But Christians do desire to receive and apply the truth of God as faithfully as they possibly can in their lives. Well, having considered then that this buying is a moral command from God that cannot be altered. And that it is a marketing term, let us consider thirdly that this buying of the truth can only be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit, dear ones, that opens our eyes to the infinite value of God's truth. We will never see nor will we ever appreciate the priceless treasure and the riches of God's truth apart from the work of God's Spirit in our hearts and lives. This is the very reason why in the, in the very same family there may be a Jacob with all his weaknesses who loves the birthright of truth, but at the same time an Esau with, who despises the birthright of truth and is willing to sell it for his own comforts, even if it is to his own destruction. This is the very reason why in the very same church there may be a Peter with all his frailties who loves the gospel of Jesus Christ and a Judas who pretends to love the gospel of Christ and is willing to betray it for 30 pieces of silver. It is the Spirit of God, dear ones, that reveals the truth of God to us for he is called the Spirit of Truth according to John 16:13. And even as Paul prays in Ephesians 1, 16 through 18, that our minds might be illuminated to understand the revelation of God, 
so this implies that we cannot understand the Spirit. We cannot understand the truth which the Spirit has revealed apart from the Holy Spirit working in our minds and our understanding. We find in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that the carnal, those who, those who are of mere flesh, those who are unregenerate, cannot know and understand the things revealed by God apart from the Holy Spirit. Dear ones, in buying the truth of God, you are not wise enough to do so without the illumination of God's Holy Spirit, nor am I. That is not to say that you forsake reason and intelligence in buying the truth. It is simply to say that you cannot lean upon your own understanding, your own unaided reason or wisdom to lead you to the truth of God so as to buy it. The Spirit of God uses, therefore, our minds to lead us and to guide us in distinguishing truth from error and in applying the truth to every area of our lives. He doesn't bypass our minds. He doesn't bypass our reason and simply deposit the truth in our souls as some churches teach. He uses our minds and our understandings in order to, to reveal to us his truth. How much time, therefore, do we spend in prayer before the Lord asking that God would illuminate our minds and understandings so that we not be misled? How often do we pour over the Scripture in communion with Christ and not simply make this a mere intellectual endeavor, but realize that this is not only something we use our mind for, but something without the Holy Spirit that we will not be able to buy and obtain? Let us never forget that it is the Spirit of God that opens our eyes to the truth, gives us faith to, faith to embrace the truth, bestows upon us love to cherish the truth, and grants us an earnest desire and willingness to obey the truth. It is not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And lastly, under this first main point, let us briefly consider what it is that we are to buy. We're commanded to buy the truth. Not an imitation of the truth, not something that closely resembles the truth, but we are commanded to buy the truth of God itself. Now, I, I would propose a question at this point, not intending to become uh, philosophical necessarily at this point, but I think that it's important that we ask the question. What makes the truth true? What makes the truth true? And I would give to you, there may be other considerations, but let me give to you four. Four things that make the truth true. First of all, the nature of God makes the truth true. God is not many gods as to his divine nature, but one living, eternal, and infinite God. Although there are three personal distinctions within the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, they are not each one-third God, but each is fully God, having the same essential nature. That is why all of our analogies to describe God fall so far short. For where is there a, any creature in which all of the parts 
or each of the parts equals the whole. Each of the angles of the triangle do not equal the whole triangle, nor do each of the parts of an apple equal the whole apple, nor are the various forms of water, whether liquid, gas, and solid, present in the same molecule of water at the same time. But the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are each one fully God, and yet one God from all eternity. Now, since God is one and not many, there cannot be contradictory or conflicting views of the truth. There cannot be that there is one God. For just as there is one God, so there is one divine truth revealed by this one God. Thus, the truth is true because God is one and not many. Furthermore, under this same consideration, the truth is true because of the nature of God, uh, this one God is revealed in Scripture as not being deficient in knowledge in any respect. As to his nature, he knows all things. As to this essential nature of God, there is not anything that God does not know, whether possible or actual. He knows all things at the same time. The Lord does not and has never learned anything, nor has he ever forgotten anything. All knowledge is immediately present unto God from eternity to eternity. Thus, the truth is true because God is omniscient. Secondly, what makes the truth true? The character of God. Truth is true because it reflects the holy character of a righteous God who is absolutely true and faithful to himself and to his word. He cannot lie. Thus, a proper study of truth in whatever realm one may pursue will ultimately lead him back to the God of truth. This, thus, we again may say that truth is true because, in this case, God is righteous and cannot lie. Thirdly, what makes the truth true? I would submit the authority of God. He is the creator and Lord of all creation. He rules and orders all that comes to pass for his own glory. Dear ones, God has never consulted with man or angel in determining what is true or false, what is right or what is wrong. No one has been God's counselor or God's teacher. He has sovereignly revealed his holy will to us, his creatures. And only he has the sovereign right, therefore, to declare what is true, what is false, what is right, and what is wrong. Thus the truth is true because God is the sovereign creator and governor of all creation. And finally, what makes the truth true? I would submit to you the revelation of God in creation and scripture. The fact that such a God as just described with the nature that God has, the character and the authority that God has, his revelation, therefore, in creation and in scripture, must be true. The fact that such a God 
as just described, would determine to reveal himself and his truth to men and to angels must require that his revelation be absolutely true and without error. Yes, the sin of man may pervert the revelation of God as far as the understanding of God's revelation. But the revelation of God, dear ones, has been perfectly made known in creation and in Scripture. Being absolutely sovereign and absolutely powerful, God is able to use even sinful men to record perfectly every word of truth that he intended to reveal. And this he has done in the Holy Scriptures. In order to give to man a revelation of truth concerning himself, concerning the glories of salvation and rescuing sinners like you and me through the Lord Jesus Christ. The revelation of God in Scripture, dear ones, we might say is God's autobiography. It is his self-revelation. It is his revelation as to how he has gone out to save sinful sinners, to redeem those undeserving of his mercy and grace unto himself. Only in the Bible is the infallible rule of faith in life. Only, dear ones, in the Bible does God fully reveal to man what his chief end is, namely, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever and how to do so. To turn from this revelation, the revelation found in the scripture, the revelation of truth, to turn away from it is to consign oneself to eternal death, but to embrace by faith, this revelation of truth and this gospel which it proclaims is to receive the God and Savior revealed therein and all the benefits of everlasting life. Second main point, and I will very, very briefly deal with this as we draw to a conclusion. Not only are we to buy the truth, but secondly, we must seek never to sell the truth. Dear ones, when we realize who has given to us the truth and what is the nature of this truth and what are the effects of this truth in our lives, how could we ever desire to sell it or to turn our backs upon it? We sell the truth, however, in various ways in our lives when we ignore it, when we neglect it, when we oppose it, when we reject it. Adam and Eve sold the truth and they murdered their posterity. Esau sold the truth and could not regain his inheritance even with many tears. Absalom sold the truth in order to gain honor and prestige. But in so doing, he brought great humiliation, a humiliating death upon himself. Judas, you recall, sold the truth and by so doing, sold his own soul to an everlasting death in hell. Dear ones, the word of God to us today is to buy the truth and sell it not. Seek the truth as one seeks for gold, for precious stones, for silver. 
Adorn yourself in the way in which you live. Adorn yourselves with the truth as one wears fine, beautiful apparel. Be not ashamed of the truth, for there is nothing of greater value in this world than the truth of Jesus Christ that has been revealed to us by the one true living God. Please stand with me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are, we are poor, we are paupers, we are ignorant, we have not the truth by nature. Even though Thou hast revealed to us the truth by creation and providence, we have despised it by nature, we have turned our backs upon it. And Lord, we have, even before coming to Thee, many of us have been exposed to the truth for many years and did not receive it. And yet, O Lord, because Thou had determined to save us according to Thy decree, Thou determined to save us through the Lord Jesus Christ, Thou did open our eyes and give to us sight, faith to receive the truth, love to cherish it, which does, O Lord, reflect Thy nature, Thy character, Thine authority, which is the very revelation of God unto us. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and will confess that the truth which has been revealed in thy word is the truth of God. The truth of the God who cannot lie. O Lord, we pray that we not may not be those who are forced to do so on that final day that that Father we may be those who joyfully thankfully receive the truth who seek it and pursue it who do not consider it insignificant to take it wherever we go to judge all that we hear or see by it to pray our Lord and our God that thou would minister to us the preciousness and the wealth of thy truth this day. In Jesus' name, amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, 
T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.